1: Today, we're talking about autofictionalization with Klaus Andersen. Klaus, would you mind introducing yourself?
0: Yes, of course. I'm uh, Klaus Andersen. I'm the Paul and Renata Madsen Assistant Professor in Scandinavian Studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison.
1: Thank you so much for coming to High Theory.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: First question, what the heck is autofictionalization?
0: Well, autofictionalization is, and I think, kind of as the term suggests, somehow related to what we talk about as autofiction. So maybe actually I should start a little with autofiction and explain what that is, at least the way I see it. Autofiction is a subgenre of the novel that involves a blurring of sorts between fiction and reality that would be highly problematic in a traditional autobiography if it was an autobiography of a former president or when no athlete. In its most basic form, the autofictional novel is a novel in which the protagonist and narrator has the same name as the author, and that claims somehow to be truthful. But it also often employs tropes that we rarely find in autobiography, and that is metafictional passages, digressions, fragmentation, metatextuality, hybridity, formal experimentation, and so on and so on. Right. The term also has a long history, especially in France, where critics and scholars have been discussing autofiction for at least 40 years. But around 2008, in the wake of the financial crisis, we saw an explosion of autofiction outside France, where the novel seems to ascend now to create a new sense of authenticity. Right. And the Norwegian author Carl Ove Knausgard's six-volume My Struggle a novel that inspired a host of other writers to start writing in this style as well, is simply the pinnacle of this trend.
1: Mm.
0: So that is autofiction. Autofictionalization, as I define the term, is a mode of narration that characterizes many of these autofictional novels. By mode of narration, I'm simply referring to how these novels are being told. And auto fictionalization is a mode of narration where the narrative consciousness or voice is placed with the experiencing character, not with the narrator. You yes. see. And maybe if I give a couple examples here, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If we take post, right? in uh, La Richard, that opens like famously with, for a long time I used to go to bed early. Here we have the narrator in the presence, right, looking back at his childhood back then. The narrative voice of consciousness is with the narrator, not with the little boy lying in a bed. But if we then take an example from Karl-Louis My Struggle, a good example, and I'm not the first one to point this passage out, is where Knausgaard is eight years old and he goes and talks to his father who is out doing yard work. And just before he turns the corner, he stops running. He's really excited, right? Because he has been told that he's not allowed to run in the yard. And then he talks to his father and then the father, just before he leaves, says, and remember, no running. And then the little boy, the eight year old boy, he says, how did he know I had been running? Right. And a little later he says again, how the hell did he know I had been running? And a little later we hear that phrase again, how could he have known? Right. And of course, the narrator, karl O'Knausko, knows how the father knew. We later know it too, but we don't learn it until the character actually learns about it. And that's what I'm talking about with auto-fictionalization, right? The narrator, he knows what happened to him in his childhood, but he kind of lets us experiencing it with the character at the time. So that's what I mean when I talk about auto-fictionalization.
1: It's interesting because on the one hand, we have the effect of... Omniscience that or realist traditions create, and that has particular political underpinnings. But here we have a kind of second-degree fictionality. You talked about this kind of efflorescence of fictional novels after the two thousand eight financial crisis. So, what are the socioeconomic underpinnings of this, and why do you think that happens then? What
0: the financial crisis of two thousand eight revealed for those who didn't know it was that a whole financial system was basically built on fiction right Mm. we started hearing about derivatives that's where we hear about all these other financial instruments that in essence were built on fictional money and i think we can make the argument or at least suggest that there might be a correlation here. When we see that what we always have heard and been told had been the stable capitalist foundation under our society turns out to be nothing but fiction,
1: Mm -hmm. then
0: authors turn to reality. It kind of becomes a way to counter or at least to established something that is true, something that is concrete, and something that is real as well. And I think maybe it's also something that is reflected in the materiality of these novels. I've talked to a lot of people that have read Knau's Gore over the years, but none of them seem to really be interested in reading him in ebook format. And those who have, they always say, Oh, I wanna buy the physical books. Right. So I think there's something both in terms of the reality that they claim to write out, but also the physicality of the books.
1: Right. This actually reminds me of when I was a teenager I used to only buy really long novels because I thought it was my money's worth. Why would I pay a bunch of money for a portrait of an artist as a young man, which is really thin, when I can just buy War and Peace?
0: You say that as if it's something you have grown out of. I haven't. I'm completely there still. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think it's for me, too, there is the, um, the the longness of it, right? I mean, it just gives me a longer experience.
1: Okay. Next question. How do we use autofictionalization? fictionalization?
0: That's a good question. I think most obviously, fictionalization is a way to distinguish that kind of narration that we find in autofiction. And I think it is important to be able to describe what's going on formally in texts and in the world we live in. When I refer to fictionalization as fictional, I try to use it not as the way we normally understand fiction in opposition to reality. My understanding of fiction is much more inspired by or maybe informed by newer rhetorical approaches to fictionality, especially by Richard Walsh, but also by James Phelan and Henrik Skold Nielsen, who sees fictionality not as cut off from the actual world, but as a way of engaging with it. Mm. So the term can be used to describe how these authors describe their life in concrete particularity and how they situate themselves in a potential and possible past by placing the narrative consciousness in that past. Right. So it kind of becomes a way to apply something that seems similar to free indirect discourse in autobiographical or novels, autofictions, and be more precise in talking about what is going
1: on. Okay, so how will auto save the world?
0: It won't. <laughs> and, and, uh, and honestly, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> when we ask that question, right, how will this change the world? Of course, I know it's provocative, but it also implies a certain utilitarian line of thinking that I'm very skeptical of when it comes to literary studies. Because when we insist on applicability and on relevance, Mm. it paradoxically often leads to the opposite, that we become acutely aware that there is none. Right. It's a way of talking down to both our students and to the general public. Most people understand that studying literature, studying certain aspects of literary text, can be interesting and can be relevant and even important when it comes to understanding what is going on, but I think they will consider me somewhat deluded if I claim that it will save the world or make it better studying auto-fictionalization. But that aside, like most scholars, I think what I do is important. My scholarship adds to a conversation and to a field of knowledge about the world we live in and the literature it produces. That knowledge is what I try to convey in my scholarships, what I try to convey to my students and to people I talk to, right? And to help them become more aware of the world they live in. And sometimes being able to identify certain aspects in a literary text is enough actually to spark an interest in a student and encourage them to go off on their own pursuit of trying to understand what literature is and what it does, and then how it relates to the world we live in. To be quite honest, on some dates, that's really all you can ask, I
1: think, as a scholar. Klaus, thank you so much for coming to High Theory and talking to us about autofictionalization.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to High Theory.
1: If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix.
0: Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music and Kim Adams and Sharonic Bosu edit our audio.
1: You can also find us at hightheory.net.
0: We hope you have a highly theoretical day.